Colossians 3.10 where we're starting today. You've seen this verse a lot this year. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. And this phrase, learn to know, is a phrase that is spoken in the present tense and it insinuates a continuation of gaining information that shapes you into the likeness of Jesus. In the verses leading up to this, Paul is telling the church that we are to put to death the sinful nature that is lurking around, that is trying to keep you and I from God's desires. All right, We're to put that behavior to death. And this is our goal. Colossians 3.10. This is our goal as a church, that we will become like Jesus. And this is not... This cannot be passive force. It cannot, we cannot take the, well, I just kind of hope it happens. You know, like, I, I bought a gym membership, and so I kind of hope that since I have a gym membership, that I'll start getting stronger and healthier. It, it, it doesn't work that way. You know that you have to wake up early, and you have to put forth the work, and you have to go to the gym and use the gym in, for, in order for this to happen. And as Christians, we must take an aggressive daily pursuit of putting to death the sinful nature so that we can be renewed. Okay, that as we learn to know Jesus and who he is, and we will become like him. Now, Peter gives us some insight into what this looks like as followers of Jesus Christ. So everyone here, I, I happen to know all of you on, a, on, on, on some level, and I'm going to just go out there and step and say that every person in this room has some type of faith in Jesus Christ. We may be at different places, but everybody in here is a believer. Everybody in here, hopefully, is a follower of Jesus Christ. And so Peter gives you and I some insight in, in, in how we are to become like him. So, so that's all Paul's versions. Now Peter's jumping into the game, and here's what he says. We read it just a few minutes ago. Let's read it again. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-8. through 8. For this very reason, make every effort. And hopefully, there it is. Like, that's kind of important. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, Virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So for the next eight weeks, church, we are going to study each of these characteristics we're going to start with the foundational characteristics for this journey of becoming like Jesus, and that's faith. I like lists. If you haven't, you haven't figured that out, fruits of the Spirit, I mean, I, I, I like to preach through lists. And this cut, this did not make it in the original sermon planning. It wasn't until later on that I'm like, hey, Peter's got some good, good advice for us. He's got some great instruction for you and I on this journey that we are on to become like Jesus. And so we modified the, the, the old sermon calendar for the year, and we added this into it. 
And so for the next eight weeks, we're going we're gonna to look at these different virtues. And, and today, we start with faith. But he tells us, out of the gate, that we are to make every effort to add to our faith. And there's a list of characteristics. And when we do this, this will keep us from being ineffective. So I've got a couple of questions for you to ponder as we start today. Have you ever felt ineffective or unfruitful as a follower of Jesus Christ on your journey? I mean, is, is that something you've ever dealt with? Have you ever been trudging along and you're just like, man, I, just, I, don't know, I don't know about this thing. God, where are you? God, what's going on? We go to the big conferences and everything and and we're up here, and man, God's great, and everything's great. We go to camp, and oh, it's awesome this, awesome that. And then we leave those, and we get back into the routine of life, and, and, and things just start happening. We're busy, we're going. We just got a lot on our plates. And then we look up, and it's like, God, what, what, man, what's really taking place in my life as a, as a follower? I, I'm just, I feel ineffective. And my second question for you then is, do you make every effort to add to your faith these things? And I know it's dangerous. But I'm going to step out on the limb here, and I'm going to assume that you are like me, and you have at times felt ineffective, that you have felt unfruitful. Maybe even you've gone as far as doubt. You may think that your spiritual life is, is, is like a desert, man. It's just dry. There's nothing living there. You've probably felt lost or even complacent. And I'm also going to step out and assume that you have not made every effort to add to your faith the seven characteristics that Peter lists out following. Probably some safe assumptions on my part. And I'm not throwing anybody on the bus because I promise you I've been there. And I want you to know this morning that you are not alone. Every Christian I've ever met feels this way somewhere along the journey. We've all felt unfruitful. We've all had moments where we're like, man, this so ineffective right now and what God's doing and the things just aren't working out. And we feel this way because our faith is tested in different circumstances or we don't feed our faith regularly and as a result, we, we get to this place. And, and so as we build on this, I want you to have this, this very basic understanding of what faith is, okay? I, I just want you to have this, this knowledge of, of faith. Faith means putting your trust in God and having confidence that He will fulfill His promises. Y'all remember, I was raised in the generation of coming through camp when I was in college, that, that uh, the trust, the, the team building exercises kind of became hot, right? And so like Christian camps especially, man, they're, they're building these ropes courses, they're building these retreat centers, 
where where people are coming, they're bringing their their groups out, and they're doing these these uh, different exercises to create bonding, you know, to create strength and unity within the team. And one of the exercises is the trust fall. And I'll never forget that the PR team from Atlanta Christian College did this this first summer of 94. We're at Woodland Christian Camp. And there's my peers on our team. And you stand on a platform. Platform's probably four feet, five feet off the ground, okay? And somebody stands on that platform, all right? And so if I'm on the platform, the people behind me, or they're on the ground, they hold their hands out like this, okay? Y'all have seen this before. And you stand on the edge of the platform, and they instruct you, the person's following, to cross your arms just like this because you don't want to go back and knock somebody out and then them step back and you fall to the ground. So you, you, you want to do this. And, and then there's this little sequence of things. You say, ready. They reply, ready. You say, falling. They say, fall away. Okay? And so here we are. I just was... The lucky one that got to go first. We've never done anything like this before. The, the, the closest team building exercise that we had done was we egged Ralph Warren's yard. He was a professor. We egged his yard. And that would be the closest thing to a team building exercise that we had done together. And so here we are on this platform. I do my thing and I fall back. Zero confidence in themselves that they could catch me. They were more scared, one of them was more scared. And it just so happened to be this young lady and she shrieked and when she moved back, she scared the guy next to her and he moved back and I kind of got caught a little ways. They kind of broke my fall and then I fell to the ground. And from that point on, all the rest of the exercises, I had very little faith in these people, okay? Very little faith. Faith, church, is putting your trust in God and having confidence that He will fulfill His promises. I stood on a platform and I put my trust in them that they would fulfill the promises of catching and they did not have enough faith in themselves. Anyway, that's a different sermon for another day. But what happens when things don't go the way I think they should, what happens when, when I think I should be doing one thing and something else happens, where are you, God? Like, I'm supposed to have faith in you, but then I'm trudging on through life and, and cancer rears its ugly head, or divorce rears its ugly head, or death rears its ugly head, or, or this or that, you name it, shows up. Now, faith takes a hit. And every Christian, somewhere along the way, has questions or doubts about God. We've all been there. And that's why Peter's instruction here is so important to us. I don't want you to feel alone. I don't want you to feel like, oh gosh, God must not value me because, because it's not happening. God must not value me because, because I, I doubt, I question. You know the, 
guy that Jesus said was the greatest struggled with his belief in Jesus? You remember who this is off the top of your head? John the Baptist. I mean, he is known as the greatest prophet ever. And he had his moments of doubt. He had his moments of, man, I'm really not being effective right now. He doubted the very existence of Jesus. John chapter 1 records the moment that John the Baptist and Jesus meet. And it's found other places too, but we're going to read this one. John 1, 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, now you are familiar with the scene, right? John is the guy that he was told to come and prepare the way. And so he's there, he's born before Jesus, and he's out in the desert, and he, he's preaching uh, a, pre, a, a sermon of repentance. A man, John is a true prophet in nature. It, it, it's fire and brimstone. It's straight up hardcore. There's no sugarcoating it. There are no trust fall illustrations in his preaching. He's getting down to it, and he's stepping on toes in major ways. This is John. And twice... John acknowledges that Jesus is the Lamb of God. This is the guy I've been telling you about. This is the guy right here who, who I prepared the way for. This is the man who I've been preaching about over a lunch of, you know, crickets drizzled with honey. He used to love this honey, that's all he had. This is God's Son. I saw the Holy Spirit descend upon Him, and I heard out of nowhere, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. Church, let me tell you something about John the Baptist. He has first-hand knowledge of Jesus. Jesus came to him and said, Hey, cousin, you, me, Jordan River, baptize me. John's like, oh no, I should be baptized by you. He goes, uh-uh, we've got to fulfill the prophecies. And so into the river they go. John told him, oh, this is what you do. I'll take your hand, I'll cover your nose, and lay you back. No, 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 John didn't do that. So he had to body slam his cousin for one time. All right? <laughs> he, he, pulled a, he pulled a cable baptism. He just went ka-choom and, and, and brought Jesus up out of the water. First-hand knowledge of Jesus. 
I mean, this is the guy. Hey, my mom has even told me the story about when she was pregnant and her cousin, you know, Mary was pregnant and Mary showed up and man, we got all excited in the womb when you when you showed up. You're, you're still you're still inside your mom and I just got all excited. That's John the Baptist. And his entire life was centered on one thing. Telling other people about Jesus. Now jump to Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. Jesus is teaching. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his, his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Verse 11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Fast forward a little bit. The whole wilderness scene, the baptism scene, Jesus starting his ministry, that took place. Now John the Baptist is in prison. Uh, he's in a prison called Macarius because he courageously denounced the adulterous marriage, marriage between Herod and Herodias. And because of that, in prison. He's allowed based on this, to still have some contact with his fathers. And don't miss the question asked in verse 3. Are you the one to come? Or shall we look for another? John's doubting. John baptized this guy. John acknowledged more than once, behold, the Lamb of God. And now John's circumstances have changed. He's been cut off from the norm of his life and he is now in prison. He's starting to second guess his entire life. Anyone else ever do that? Anyone else ever second guess? Anyone else live with regret? Anyone else look back and say, hey, is this really the real deal? Warren Weirdby says this, it's not difficult for you and I to sympathize with John as he suffered in prison. 
He was a man of the desert, yet he was confined indoors. He was an active man with a divine mandate to preach, yet he has been silenced. He had announced judgment, and yet that judgment was slow in coming. So he's in prison, and he is receiving only partial reports of Jesus' ministry. And he couldn't see the big picture. And he began to doubt. And so what's John do? He gets those followers of his. He says, hey, go find out where Jesus is and, and go ask him this question. Are you really the one or should we be looking for somebody else? And so the disciples do as John, John's disciples do as, as they're told and they go find that Jesus and they see Jesus and they just, you know, hey, Jesus, got to have a word with you. Here's what our rabbi wants to know. Are you really the one? And say, so, so Jesus responds to John's disciples. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf, deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. It's typical Jesus answer right there, isn't it? John wants some simple validation. Just, just tell him, yes or no. Are, are you going... Right. And he, and he doesn't answer John the Baptist's question directly. How many of us are frustrated by that? Man, we got something going on in our life. We seek the Word of God, and there's no just clear, divine, here it is, in big, bold letters, yes, you should do this, or no, you should not do this. Hey, don't fret. Jesus did it with John the Baptist. I just want a yes or no, Jesus. Yes, yes, I am the one to come. Nope, look for somebody else. And so because Jesus does this with John the Baptist sitting in prison, he's going to do it with us. And there's a very important reason for this. His answer is, go and tell John what you see and hear in my ministry. And then the decision is left squarely up to John. It's your choice. Jesus cannot make the decision for John to believe in Jesus. He can't do it. Jesus cannot make the decision for you to believe in him today. That gets rid of free will if he's starting to force that upon us. Church, God can do a lot of things, but he will not make you have faith in him. That is my part. So John is sitting there in prison, and you would like to think that there would be this nice, compassionate moment this reassuring, hey, you let you you let John know as he's hanging in there that yes, I am the real deal. And he's got nothing to worry about. But no, that's not the response, is it? Y'all go tell him what you've seen me do, and then he has to make the decision to believe in me or not. And you're sitting in this room today because you have some level of faith. You have some level of trusting in God and having confidence that He 
will fulfill his promises. Church, that's the importance of Peter's message for you and I today. We are to make every effort to add to our faith virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. We, we are to add to our faith these things. And it promises us that if we are continually adding these to our faith, they will keep us from being ineffective and unfruitful. We can't work for our salvation. However, we can work to increase our faith so that, so that we will not be rendered useless or apathetic when our lives are challenged. I sit around the room and I stare into the eyes and I'm telling you right now, circumstances are going to change. Things are not going to work out the way you want them to work out. You're going to have moments where you will have your prison moments for whatever that is. God, are you there? Jesus, are you really who you say you are? Peter is giving us the recipe to avoid these feelings. And it's not to say that this keeps us from having difficult seasons of life. That's, that's a promise that we're going to have. But to not doubt and to start second-guessing our relationship with God. So how do we respond to this today, church? Where, where do we begin with supplementing our faith with these characteristics? Well, first things first, you need to know that, that each week, Coming up, we're going to talk about the particular characteristic and then some action steps to follow. Okay, we're going to we're going to look at the characteristics of virtue next week, and we're going to we're going to look at a Bible story and we're going to look at some things that we can do to take faith and and add virtue to it. Okay, so so that that's coming. But where do I begin today with this this foundation of faith? You know, it's interesting. Our soaps that we read just they they, they line up with, with 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 what we're preaching more often than not. It's crazy. And so I recommend this week this is what you do. You do what our soap from last week commanded us to do in verse 10. That's what you do. You, you want an action step this week. Start with what verse 10 tells us to do from what we read last week. And it's super simple to understand. It's not a complex. It's very hard to execute. It takes some work. But I think for an action step, that's where we start. So with that, let's spend some time with God right now, remembering the sacrifice. Hopefully you have your communion cups out. Let's spend some time with God, remembering the sacrifice that was made for you and I, so that our faith can increase and our relationship with God can flourish. So if you have your communion packs, go ahead and open them up, take the bread out first. Flip them over, give them a little shake. I've got to see some of you done. And open those up.
we go into this time remembering the sacrifice. I want to I want to go back to the very last verse we read in Matthew chapter eleven. You know, Jesus doesn't brag a whole lot about people. You ever notice that? He he, he never. I heard it this week. It, it was a great great saying from Chad Sparks this week. That you don't ever want to end up on a pedestal because there's only one place to go from there. So Jesus doesn't do it very often. Man, he puts John on this pedestal, doesn't he? He says, truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. But then he says this, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Who, who is it that Jesus is talking about there? And John the Baptist is the greatest man born the, the woman at all times. I know my mom thinks I'm the greatest, right? But clearly, the scripture says that John is. Commentators don't agree on this. They, 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 they argue kind of back and forth over who Jesus is referring to here. Some think that Jesus is referring to himself. I, I think that Jesus is talking about someone else. I think that Jesus is referring to anyone who models their life and their ministry after John. John's entire life was spent proclaiming the name of Jesus over the comforts of this world. The least in the kingdom is the one who dies to self daily. Dies to self and what I want and how I want it and when I want it dies to self-gratification. The least of these is the person who lives his life on the greater purpose of promoting the name of Jesus. The person who does this will be greater than even John in the kingdom of heaven. But that requires death. Jesus modeled that for you. He said, I don't want this. It was his prayer in John chapter 17. Lord, anything else but this. And God did not answer Jesus the way Jesus wanted to be answered. So he went to the cross and he became sin. He became our sin. He modeled dying to self for the sake of others. And Jesus says, you want to be greater than John? You must become the least of these. And so as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, let's remember the humility it takes to die to self. Jesus was sitting around with his followers and he broke the bread and he told them, this is my body that is broken for you. Take it and eat. And then he passed the wine. He said, this is my blood that is poured out for 
wash away the sins of the world. God, we really, truly are grateful for your word that adds to our life. Father, I pray that as people of faith, different places in our life on this very moment of time, that, that we can understand that it's, it is human and it's okay to doubt. It's okay to, to feel ineffective at times. So God, I, I pray that with repentance in our hearts and humility set before us, Lord, that we will build upon our faith. We will add these characteristics and we will make every effort. So this week, the challenge is just set before us to be still, to know that you're God. Help our faith to increase by doing that very simple thing. Amen.